Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as your mate. (laughs) Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Sam Mack. Thank you very much, Moxie. Uh, Great to be on the podcast. I know technology is such a great thing. In social settings, Sam, how do you introduce yourself? I introduce myself as Sam. I know it's a little unconventional (laughs) coming with with my first name. Do you mean in terms of my career or my position? Is that what you mean? Yes. I don't do that. Um, It's just not something that I feel overly comfortable with. If someone, you know, tells me what they do and we're sort of having a conversation, then I might, in you know, in, let them know what I do. But, yeah, I've never been one for, uh, mm-hmm. hi, I'm Sam. You may have seen me on blah, blah, and blah. You may have heard me on blah. You know, yeah. I actually feel a bit uneasy when people come up and introduce themselves with a bit of a resume. How do you feel being recognised as Mr. Sam Mack from the television or the radio? Uh, I... Don't have a problem with it. For the most part, people are quite nice. People are quite friendly. It doesn't happen that often. Um, I find that if I'm doing a lot, you know, with a particular show or, you know, if I'm in a particularly busy period where you're on every second night or something, then, yeah, it happens a bit more around that time. But, um, mm. no, I, I, you know, if people are coming up and saying, hey, I like that thing you did, you know, with the, the project or the B-League or whatever, then it's a it's a really nice compliment for the most part. So it happens a lot in pubs, weirdly. I think people, you know, have a few beers or a few drinks under their belt and they're more prone to come over and tell you, you know, who's good on TV and who's not. <laughs> <laughs> but they forget, they, they forget, and I don't know if you ever get this, but people forget that a lot of the the on-air people that they're talking about are actually really good friends of yours. So you're just in this Mm. weird situation where you're like, oh, yeah, okay, oh, really? Oh, I'll pass that on. I'm not going to pass that on. (laughs) (laughs) Who are your favourites on TV at the moment, Sam? I'm loving John Oliver. Uh, I saw him live mm. here in Sydney a couple of weeks ago. Fantastic live you show. Uh, lucky his show. bastard. Yeah. Uh, one of the few things in my career that I paid my own money for. So <laughs> that, that's just to give you an indication of how into his work I am. Uh, <laughs> it was a great show. Uh, his show on TV at the moment is Last Week Tonight, for people who might not be familiar. Also loving, you know, my old favourites, Sean McAuliffe, who's about to come back with a brand new show mm. on the ABC. Um Conan O'Brien, not as much as I used to, but still enjoy his work. Stephen Colbert, I recorded his first episode, so I'm excited to see that. Um, Yeah, Ricky Gervais, you know, always loving his stuff. Uh, Rarely would a week pass where I don't watch an old episode of The Office UK. I still haven't Mm. let that go. It's been 14 years and I can't let go. Um, They're probably my – oh, Larry David is the other one. Curb Your Enthusiasm is using up most of my IQ space on my uh, Foxtel at the moment. What is it about – the, the office or curb that tickles your fancy? Number one, there's no laugh track. I don't like being told when to laugh, particularly when that thing is not funny to me. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, talking to you two and a half men, Big Bang Theory, etc. cetera. Oh. <laughs> Insert Chuck Lorre comedy here. Yeah. Um, number two, I just think that they are – they are underplayed, particularly the Office UK. Like it's just 
you can watch it 10 times and you'll watch it the 11th time and see something that you didn't see mm-hmm. the first 10 times. And that, you know, layered comedy, the little nuances, I just think that that, in terms of a sitcom, The Office UK is absolutely perfect. In terms of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry David, I just love his disposition. And, and I, I'm fascinated by how far that is from what Larry David, you know, away from the camera is really like. I saw a really good chat with him on 60 Minutes where they were trying to get him to answer that question. And uh, there is no answer to that question. Well, he's certainly not willing to give it. So, yeah, uh, I've never seen a bad <laughs> episode of either of those shows. Uh, so, yeah, that would be my answer. And they just make me laugh. They just, they're just my sense of humour. They're, they're that little bit darker. They're not afraid of the awkwardness. Um, I just, yeah, I'm obsessed with those shows. What is it about comedy that you find attractive and you think you do good about? Um, I just find that it makes life more fun and it's a pretty simple way to look at it. Um, you know, you catch up with your mates. The more time you spend laughing, the better. So if you can make something or if you watch mm-hmm. something that makes you have that reaction, then that's that's what it's all about because there's so much doom and gloom and there's so many things that you could be worried about in the world and there's there's a lot of horrible things happening in the world so sometimes yes. the best way to deal with them is to you know com- compute it through humor uh, or, or the other thing is it's it's just it's just fun it's there's, there's no great philosophy over it it's just fun what's the biggest thing to have happened to you the biggest thing to have happened to me, are we talking career or, or life in general? Because I guess if we're talking life in general, then it would be to have been born. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've achieved much bigger than that. Um, and I didn't really do much. I basically just arrived. Um, um, we'll put some photos, some links up for you guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we won't. <laughs> you were just about to ch- chase those up, weren't you? <laughs> yes. Um, the biggest thing that's happened to me, I guess in terms of career, it would be the very beginning. And I started off in radio. I grew up in Adelaide and I was at uni and working part time. And my auntie suggested that I entered a competition on SAFM, which was the the radio station in Adelaide. And they were doing a competition called who wants to be a co-host on air, which was at the time, a very clever wordplay on the TV show, who wants to be Mm. a millionaire. And I applied for that because my auntie Liz suggested (laughs) I do it. So I applied and I play guitar. So I, I wrote a few parody songs and I went in and I won the competition and the prize was a trip to Edinburgh in Scotland for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which I went to and did some reviews for them. And then when I got back, they offered me a job. So I guess that was kind of, you know, the big, biggest moment in terms of career. Like that was my big break. Um, That kind of got me into this crazy industry that I'm still loving to this day. So yeah, that'd probably be it. That's, That's an amazing moment and opportunity for someone like yourself who was a bit of a comedy nerd to go to where all of the comedy happens at once. Absolutely. Yeah. And to, um, to just soak it up. I, I think also just the experience of going from having no real um, insight to what it's like to work in the media to being right in the thick of it, to sort of seeing these guys put their show together. I was fascinated by the planning that's involved, you know, the preparation for a show, then the execution of a show, then the analysis of the show, I just had never considered that there was so much that went into a three-hour radio show. So it was honestly um, 
an amazing learning experience, but also a lot of fun. And I guess it for me, it solidified that this is what I wanted to do with my career. I wanted to be in this space working with these types of people. In, in radio, have you had a moment where you've gone, look, this is the most radio thing I've ever done? What do you mean by most radio thing? People that are outside the industry often think of radio sometimes as being filled with cliches. Um, so I guess to that, have you caught yourself working in radio, doing something that you would think is a very cliched radio thing to do or say? Yeah, absolutely. If you want to be employed in radio, you have to do some of those things. I mean, you can avoid a lot of them or you can put your own spin on a lot of them, but there's certain fundamentals, particularly you know, in commercial radio, in my experience, that you just have to do or you don't get paid, as simple as that. So, <laughs> you know, a lot of them would be competitions that you had to run that maybe you weren't a fan of or, um, you know, adverts, mm. live reads that you had to do that you, ne- you know, weren't necessarily into. Um, yeah, a lot of that. Um, I used to try and push things in terms of just making it that little bit more creative or irreverent or interesting and just little things. Like, for example... I once got told off when I was doing, so I used to do the 92.9 breakfast show in Perth and I once got told Mm. off because I used to, instead of saying it's um, 6.17, I would say it's 43 minutes to (laughs) 7. And it's, look, I'm the first to put my hand up and say, yeah, it's stupid. You know, people aren't gaining anything from that. But I remember (laughs) sitting in a meeting with the boss at the time who said, Sam, you just can't do that. It's confusing the listeners. <laughs> I like to think it was challenging the listeners. You know, let's get their brains up and moving nice and early on the drive to work. Gosh. <laughs> it's 58 minutes to the hour. What was what was school like for you, Sam? School was good. It was pretty comfortable. I went to a public school in South Australia that um, was a pretty sporty school, which was good for me because I was really into soccer and I played pretty competitively at that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was pretty good at rorting the school system. And by that, I mean, (laughs) you know, if if we, (laughs) that sounds really dodgy. If we were asked to put together a 1500 word essay on blah, I was pretty good at saying, you know, pulling the teacher aside and saying, hey, would it be okay if I approach this in a different way and maybe make a five minute video about, you know, insert topic here. And for the most part, they were really receptive to it. I think it made it interesting for them because rather than, you know, just reading all these papers, Mm. they had a video presentation, they could show it to the rest of the group. And I think that's when I found, I guess, the the buzz for creating, you know, for making something out of nothing. You know, I, I used to run my own little newsletter while I was at school and then while I was doing uh, six months at TAFE and it was called The Fake Times. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just, you know, I mean, calling it satire would be very kind. You know, I was 16, 17 years old, but I think, you know, it was, it was trainer wheels satire. Do you think, on reflection, that the teachers that allowed you to submit video presentations instead of written presentations might have just been making allowances for Sam? (laughs) Uh, Possibly. I also think that I was quite persuasive. I I would make it 
I would do my darndest to make it seem like a good thing for them. You know, like I, <laughs> I would say, oh, and I'll chat to the other teachers about, you know, how you really, um, you really nurtured me and you, you really, you know, were my, my guidance on this whole project. And, and then I, I had a really good relationship with the principal at the time. So quite often I would be, you know, doing a speech or talking, yeah. you know, doing the sport updates at the, at the assemblies and, and I would not be adverse to, you know, plugging <laughs> plugging teachers, you know, like, and, and what teacher, yeah, what, what teacher does not want to receive compliments from a student in front of a thousand people? <laughs> Everyone's got an ego. <laughs> and then, of course, you did a time call. <laughs> That's right, a very confusing time call. Uh, I was actually banned from using the video camera at school. <gasps> what? Yeah, um, I like I said before, I, I used to ask if I could do my assignments on video quite often, but it reached a point where we were doing assignments on video, but my mates and I were also making our own little sketches with this, and it was one of those old school. This is going to sound like I went to school in 1964. It was one of those old school video cameras that you had to insert a VHS tape into it. And um, we used to I, – I got in trouble because – the, the school library had a lot of um, documentaries and educational programs on their VHS tapes, and we didn't want to pay the $5 to buy VHS tapes, so we used oh, to tape no. over. We used to tape over stuff that they needed for the curriculum with our stupid videos of us, you know, making faces <laughs> and singing songs and kicking soccer ball into a bin. <laughs> and the problem with that, we realised this pretty quickly, the problem with that was when they went to watch it with the class, the evidence was right there because whose face pops up on the video? <laughs> <laughs> they knew exactly who'd done it. Gosh. Where is the line between public and private for you? Good question. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, I'm pretty open. I, I, you know, in terms of social media, um, there's there's not a lot that I'm, you know, secretive of or hiding um, I think I'm extra careful with family because, you know, they haven't chosen mm -hmm. uh, sort of, you know, the same career path that I have. So I'll certainly ask for permission or I'll check if things are okay. And you get a gauge of what people are comfortable sharing and what they're not comfortable sharing. So, but with me, no, I'm, I'm pretty open. I'm really happy to talk about, you know, I just put a thing on my Facebook before about, um, you know, uh, male depression or depression, um, you know, suicide prevention. This is a, a topic that I'm really passionate about having, you know, lost a friend a number of years ago to it. So yeah, mm. I, I'm, I'm happy to talk about those things that I think are important. Um, and, and at you know, the same time, I'm also happy to put up way too many photos of my cats. So yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, as you would know, you follow me. I, I, I share yeah. most things in my life. You know what's going on in my life. I do. And I enjoy it, Sam. Thank you, mate. How do you stave off uh, some of those feelings of darkness that we all at times experience? Yeah, I think, um, and this is going to sound quite strange, but I turn to comedy. I, I could mm -hmm. be having the worst day. I could have some horrible news. I could be going through something, you know, that's personally really troubling. But if I sit down and put on an episode of The Office... Honestly, I, you know, I'm not going to, it's not going to fix the problem necessarily, but temporarily it will remind me that 
hey, you know, there's still stuff to laugh about in life and, and you know, try to get through this however you can. And, and for me, like, you know, watching those shows that I really love um, helps with that kind of thing. When, and I'm happy if you, you don't want to talk about this, you said that you lost a friend some years ago um, to depression and, and mental illness. How, how did you feel learning about that for the first time? Uh, it was really tough. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, so it was um, a friend of mine, Richard Marsland, who I know a lot mm-hmm. of people who listen to this would know and be across his work, um, who actually the the trip to Edinburgh that I told you about at the start of the podcast mm-hmm. when I just burst into radio was with Richard Marsland. So Richard <clears throat> wow. was working as a writer on what was the Amanda Blair breakfast show. James Brayshaw was also on it at the time and Joe Bovolino. And Richard <laughs> immediately was, well, first of all, I was just amazed at how sharp this guy was like just the ideas the jokes like it Mm. was just a conveyor belt of humor just you know being around him um secondly just and i know that this has been said a number of times but it's true the loveliest guy you will ever meet the most welcoming friendly warm person and particularly in an industry that at times has a few knobs you know (laughs) like there there's there's definitely people like him in the industry as well that stand out when you come across them. And particularly for me at that time, not being familiar with the industry to be welcomed and to learn from him and for him to give me time of day, immediately Mm -hmm. I was drawn to this guy and and managed to, you know, strike up a friendship over the years um, after that fact. But yeah, that was really, really tough because um, Richard was very good at keeping it private. Uh, you know, I had no idea and a lot of his friends had no idea. There were maybe a handful of people who knew uh, that he had some issues in that area and, you know, they were obviously trying to help him. Um, So yeah, when I, when I got that news, it was obviously so devastating and uh, it's still, it's still raw all these Mm -hmm. years after the fact, but uh, a lot of good has come out of it. um, You know, in terms of awareness, in terms of people that knew him or worked with him and, and a lot of high profile people that worked with him helping to spread the message and spread the word about, you know, looking out for these, these, um, these little signs that maybe, you know, your mate, your workmate, your teammate, your family member, your partner, maybe something isn't quite right. And, and being a bit more attuned to those signs and, and just offering support and, and making sure that people know that there is support and there is love and there is help out there and that people are valued and, you know that people want to want to get them through this stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, it's something that has really played a big part in in my life and has I guess made I, I think for a lot of his mates that were affected by it, it's made a little bit of a, a side mission to kind of educate people and to talk about it. So I'm yeah I'm glad that we're talking about it. Mm. For for those people who uh, might feel that they can't talk to anyone, certainly do try to talk to your friends or even uh, places like Lifeline or Beyond Blue, uh, uh, excellent resources and and, and uh, companies that you can contact and discuss how you're feeling without any judgment. Um, those people can certainly provide you with some help. Uh, and we look, we care about you. That's a, a very important thing. And, and that, I'm not, I don't say that flippantly. 100%. Yeah, well said. What do you count as a source of strength? Hmm. I count as a source of strength 
protein shakes. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, hmm. I, w- I would hmm. say, I would say, um, family. You know, I guess it's a, a pretty standard answer to that. But um, you know, you your family have have invested their life, you know, particularly parents, you know, into making you who you are. So you want to repay that. You want to make them proud. You want to help them out when they need it. You want to be there for them. Um, so yeah, that, that certainly gives me a lot of strength. Um, and you know, and that extends to friends as well. I think, what about you? What would it be for you, Maltz? There would be a few things. I have a great resilience that comes, uh, I think is embedded in me from my family, my parents, particularly, Mm-hmm. Um, there is a strong grounding uh, in a belief system that I, I find great solace in and comfort, and hopefully I am encouraging my kids to to search that out as well. And I gain a lot of energy from from people, from talking to people and, and hanging out with people. Fantastic. Well, you're very good at it, mate. I enjoy your podcast. So um, thank you. Yeah, and. I've always enjoyed your work. So, yeah, that's, that's great to hear. So my question to you then, in return, sir, how did you annoy your family as a kid with videos and comedy? What, what's the most outrageous thing that you made them have to sit through or deal with? Oh, my goodness. I, I would make videos almost – I was one of the most prolific content providers of, of the decade. <laughs> Honestly, I was just churning out quantity over quality. <laughs> I would get my parents unwillingly involved in sketches that even I didn't know what they were about. <laughs> I used to get around in an Orlando Magic singlet, oh, Shaquille so O'Neal, great. number 32, and doing uh, weight sessions with a five-kilogram uh, barbell and dumbbell and um mm. yeah just telling them that you know i was the next arnold schwarzenegger um i used to also obsess over being on tv i used mm. to go to the um the Highmarsh stadium cooper stadium as it's now known to watch the soccer and they'd have yeah. the nsl the national soccer league or the the you know the ra- the game of the round and les murray would be in town the iconic les murray and i i knew exactly where to stand behind him so that when he did his piece to camera You'd see little me standing there in the background and I'd get my mum to record on VHS. So we'd have to go pause and then the still advance feature to see like how many frames I was on the camera for. And I'd chuck a major tantrum if she ever didn't record it properly. <laughs> so it's good to see that that vanity has continued into my, uh, my adulthood. I'm glad you've been able to temper it. <laughs> what do you do really well? Listen. And mm. I think that is extremely important. Definitely in my background in radio, listening was something that, you know, I learned pretty early on would, um, would make the difference sometimes between a, a good segment and a great segment. Because if you're not listening, you could miss the most amazing piece of information that then needs to be explored. And, and from, from a radio perspective, there's people sitting in their cars who've heard your guest say something and, and a lot of the time, you've probably experienced it yourself. You're like, oh, I want to mm-hmm. hear more about that. I want to hear more. But if you're not attuned to that and if you don't then expand on that idea or that thought that they've had that, that's really interesting and you just go on to your next because you've got a, a set amount of questions that you want to get through, then I think that's a missed opportunity. So I, I think listening 
is super important for radio. I think it's important for TV and it's important for just your day-to-day life, you know, having conversations with your mates. There's nothing more frustrating and it happens and I'm sure we all do it at times, but you're in a conversation and someone starts talking about something and you've got a, a story that, that, you know, they've triggered off because they've mentioned some word that reminds you of a story and you're tr- yeah. so eager to jump in and tell your story that you don't hear the end of their story. So it's frustrating. So definitely listening. Sorry, what was the question? Has not listening ever caught you out on TV? Not on TV, That I not a specific moment that I can recall, but there's certainly been a time when not hearing has caught me out <laughs> on TV. That was, <laughs> that was more of a technical situation. If you want to have a look, this still exists on YouTube, I believe. If you type in um, Sam Mack 7pm Project Whip Around, You'll find a video where I think Husey was on the panel at the time and Husey crossed to me, he said, uh, Sam, what's going on in Perth, mate? And um, I, my earpiece had died literally 10 seconds before he said that. So I'm just sort of standing, staring blankly, like, you know, not, not thinking there's any problem. And then when I watched it back, of course, Husey goes, Sam, you're on. And again, I'm just like, you know, looking into the sunset, you know, looking at the camera for the moment, just sort of like, you know, twiddling my thumbs. And then he goes, Sam. (laughs) And then they go, all right, nothing's happening in Perth. Let's cross to Melbourne. (laughs) But the, the, (laughs) the great irony is I've probably still got about the amount of time I would have got if I had spoken. I got about 15 seconds, which is your average whip around time. Yeah, those those whip spots are notorious for just being rapid fire, super quick, and everybody that's got one invariably tries to milk it for longer than their 15, don't they? Absolutely. Um, probably my favourite moment doing the whip around on the project was where, <laughs> so they obviously speak in your ear where they go, you know, oh, Sam, you're up next, or, you know, we're going to Brisbane next or whatever it might be. But one of the best was, so I was waiting to go on and I knew that I was next because the Melbourne person was on and I was about to go on. And as the Melbourne person was wrapping up, I heard a, a voice in my ear go, Sam, uh, we're tight for time. You have to wrap it up right now, mate. But I hadn't said a word yet. I hadn't even started speaking. That That's crazy. <laughs> Fun segment though. Uh, yeah, it, always. And I, I always do, as a viewer, love watching the whip just to see – some people who I, I would like to think I can count as friends and also just other, you know, media people doing the thing that are pushing really hard. They've got three gags. They want to deliver them. Uh, they want to make sure they get in there. And to hell with you telling me in my ear that I'm cut, you're cutting me off. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. I spent 19 minutes writing this script earlier today. I had to drive 10 minutes to get here. I'm going to get my money's worth. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Sam, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? In the next 12 months, I'm going to achieve what I've been trying to achieve for the last, I guess, 10 years or so, or possibly even longer, which is working with great people who are creative and making stuff that you're proud of. Um, Mm. and look, sometimes you have to compromise with that. If it's in a commercial space, you need to make some allowances, but there's other areas where you can do exactly what you want to do. Like what you're doing with this podcast, you know, you've come up with this concept, you're 
you know, producing it, you're finding the people to get on, you're coordinating it, you're dealing with idiots like me who can't work out their microphone on their laptop, <laughs> you know, I had to go and get an Apple Genius Bar appointment. <laughs> um, so you're through the looking glass here, people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's it for me. Like, so that that's the most, I guess, you know, career-wise, the, the biggest focus for me in terms of non-career. Um, I'm really passionate about animals, so I'm an ambassador with Sydney Dogs and Cats Home, so I want to do a bit more with them, whether that be hosting events or donating money or time or whatever it could mm. be. Um, we spoke about, you know, depression, um, mental illness, suicide prevention, you know, if I can help out in some way in time or money or, you know, hosting events, like definitely some more in that regard. And I guess the final thing is to just – you know, we spoke about it right at the start to, to have fun, to laugh, you know, with mates, with family members. And if you're doing all of those three, then you're doing all right. Well, Sam, you certainly have been fun to chat with. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for the things that you've shared. Uh, please, please know that you are very valued and important and, and the things that you've shared with us, uh, I'm sure many will agree that they're, they're special. Thank you for, for sharing those things. Absolute pleasure, mate. And um, anytime. Uh, I love your work. So keep up the great stuff. Um, you know, I'm sure uh, a lot of people who come on your shows understand, you know, that this stuff isn't the easiest. You know, there's a lot of time and a lot of effort, a lot of hours that go into this stuff. So yeah, we thank you. Oh, you're very generous, mate. Thank you. Now, obviously you are on Twitter. Are there any other social accounts you want to own up to? Yes, I am on Instagram as Sam Mac Insta. Um, my, I had a guy that I sort of know the other day, Mitch, who said, oh, it's Sam Mac Insta. I thought that was your full name. I thought you were Sam McInster. <laughs> Idiot. Um, and uh, I'm also on, <laughs> I'm on Facebook. Oh, I'm doing a bit more Periscope these days. Have you mucked around with that at all? Periscope? Cool. I have, but I don't live an interesting enough life or in it be in an interesting enough places to warrant it. Well, that doesn't stop most of the people on Periscope. <laughs> I watched a guy named Stephen Brody Stevens, who I really like. He's a comedian from LA who's friends with Zach Galifianakis. And there's an amazing show, which uh, I'd recommend that you can check out. It's it, They're only 20 minute episodes. I think there's about 10 of them all up and it's called Stephen Brody Stevens. Enjoy it. You can find it online. Um, yeah. Anyway, he periscopes all the time and he's a fascinating guy. He he calls himself the Prince of Periscope <laughs> and he drives Ubers in LA, but he actually drives his mum's car as an Uber. So he picks oh. people up, but he's live periscoping it. And then randomly he'll go into a drum solo. Like he takes his drumsticks around. He'll play the steering wheel with his, with his drumsticks. And I watched him on Periscope the other night and the title for the Periscope video was um, going to Walmart to buy gum and a steering wheel cover. And I watched 45 <laughs> minutes of this guy shopping at Walmart, which included a fascinating 25-minute conversation with a Walmart employee about religion. So <laughs> it's wow. bizarro, but honestly, sometimes you can't look away. So, yeah, don't undersell yourself, mate. I'm sure you've got plenty of interesting things to chuck on Periscope. Sometimes I think we're just encouraging the stupid people. <laughs> Gosh, uh, this has been the humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Mr. Sam Mack is indeed human. <laughs> and your 